in heaven, Satan wanted at least multiple thrones. How many of you know what pluralism is? Basically what? That really, there's no such thing as absolute what? Truth. Or one way is not the only way for something to take place. Remember, Lucifer said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. Lucifer's argument was that one could still be holy without following God and his law. And beloved, basically what you have happening here is Lucifer is introducing the principle of pluralism in heaven. God's way is not the only way to have happiness, peace, life, etc. Satan is saying there is another way and um, don't be fooled, angels. Don't listen to God that his way is the only way. Psalms 45 and verse 6, the Bible says of God's throne, Thy throne, O God, is what? Forever and ever the scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. In other words, the Bible is here telling us that God's throne is unchangeable. It is forever and ever. It is holy. It is perfect. And because of that, it endures forever. Satan said, no, that's not how it works. Uh, There are other ways to holiness. I can be like the Most High. So, we understand in heaven that there was one throne and one government. Now, I just want you to imagine this with me. I'm going to read it up here. Satan and his evil angels accuse God and good angels of thinking themselves superior and their way the only way. Does that sound familiar? I mean, as you think about Lucifer and he's saying, you know, God, you, you're not the only way to righteousness. I can be like you and the, what, what you have laid out, your law, all these things you're saying that we must do in order to remain in the kingdom of heaven. That's not right. That's not fair. There are other ways to righteousness and there are other ways to holiness. You don't have a corner on truth. Sound familiar? You don't, you don't own truth. I mean, uh, who's to say that your way is better than my way? Who's to say that uh, your path to salvation is better than any other path to salvation? And so this war in heaven begins basically over the, 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 the possibility in Satan's mind that there can be more than one way to truth and to righteousness. Also, I can imagine him telling these angels, Satan and his angels saying, you know, you guys think you're a bunch of elitists. You guys think you guys are narrow-minded. You're not open to any other way or interpretation. You're not open to any other uh, idea except for your own ideas. Now, you know, I can imagine the, the deception of this kind of argument. I mean, just imagine being in heaven and you're hearing these arguments from this bright, uh, uh, beautiful angel saying, look, what's the matter with just trying things, what, a different way? What's the matter? Why does it have to be God's way and God's way only? Why is it that he has a corner on truth? Aren't we all Holy? And so you, again you can see the height of the deception that, is, that took place in heaven. We've got two principles here. Question, how many congregations were there in heaven? How many of you are sure of that? Absolutely sure. Why was there only one congregation in heaven? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us so because Lucifer said, I will sit upon, what? The mount of the congregation. There was only one congregation in heaven. Now, why would that make sense that there could only be one congregation in heaven? There was one God and one what? One truth. One truth. God's congregation was based upon the principle of truth, was based upon the government and the law of truth. That's why there was one congregation. Lucifer wanted to have a division in the congregation. In other words, his goal was to get as many angels as he possibly could on his, what? Side. 
which would naturally mean that there was now a division in the congregation. And beloved, a division in the congregation reveals whose principle? Satan's principle. Very good. One government in heaven. I want you to notice John 10 and verse 30. Jesus said, I and my father are one. What did that mean? They were in agreement. Same truth. Same government. Same principles. Same congregation. Amen? Same congregation. Now, not only did he say, I and my father are one, but the goal of the gospel according to Genesis 7, or John 17, 11, Jesus says, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be, what? One as we are one. So then, Jesus here is telling us that as he and his father were one, because they were under the same government, under one congregation, so Jesus desires his people to be what? One, under one government in heaven, which would mean under one congregation. Very good. Now I want you to notice the word here, church, ecclesia in the New Testament. It means a calling out. That is concretely a popular meeting, especially a religious, what's the word there? Congregation. A synagogue or Christian community, Jewish synagogue or Christian community of members on earth or saints in heaven or what? Both. <coughs> An assembly or church. And that's according to the Strong's Concordance. So then, when we read back in Isaiah 14 where Lucifer was saying, I will sit on the mount of the congregation where we understand that Lucifer attempted to divide the congregation. Beloved, he was doing nothing less than attempting to divide the church. The church where? In heaven. And when there became a divided church, because there did come a point where the church became divided in heaven, it was a revelation that the principle of who? Satan was now at work in heaven. And for that, Satan and his angels were removed out of the city of God. Satan divided the congregation in heaven. And again, we'll notice there, I will sit upon the mount of the where? Congregation, which means the what? Means the church. Very good. Alright, I want you to notice that the division of the congregation was over the issue of what? Holiness. There are other ways to be holy than the way that God has laid out. Don't be so high-minded, God. Don't be such an elitist. Don't think that your way is the only way. We can be holy too without following your law. And remember we get that from Isaiah 14, 14. I will be like the Most High. I will be holy like God without having to follow God's law or God's rules. There are multiple paths to holiness. Whose lie is that? Satan's. Very good. All right, beloved. Now, the church on earth is simply a replica of the church in where? In heaven. Now, how many of you see the dilemma that we're in before I've even gone any further? What is the dilemma? Beloved. On earth, should there be one church or many churches? One. What is the sign of many churches? I mean, what does that, what does that say to us as we look around and we see many churches? All representing different governments and different systems. What do we begin to realize as we consider this? Who's at work? Now, beloved, I mean, as you think about that, that sounds like a pretty rotten thing to say. How, who says Satan's at work? How dare you? What do you think? You think that only one church has the 
truth? Why don't be such an elitist? Don't be so narrow-minded. There are many paths to where? To what? Holiness. Now, beloved, while that might sound like a tolerant thing to say, as we understand the very issues that took place in heaven, we begin to realize, oh, that sounds good, just like it must have sounded good to one-third of holy angels who ended up being what? Deceived. And beloved, as I think about people today and they're, they're, they see all these different denominations, you really got, you know, you got different views on this. One, well, all of these people, all these churches are the church of God. But beloved, I want you to understand that the, the Baptist says, look, this is the way that you get to heaven. But the Methodist says, no, 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 that's not exactly right. This is the way, this is the, the principle on which heaven is based upon. And we have established this church to show people the real way to get to heaven. But then you've got the Episcopalian saying, no, 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 no. Both of you got it wrong. And uh, this is the real way. This is what is required in order to get to heaven. And as you go down the list, beloved, what you have, even to the non-denominational, what you have is a group or a body representing or claiming to represent the what? The kingdom of God. The congregation of heaven. And what they're saying is, this is the way, this is what God requires. And as we see this, beloved, and as we take what, is, what took place in heaven and put them together, we see, oh, Satan is simply doing on earth what he attempted to do where? In heaven. So the question is, are there many paths to heaven? I want you to notice what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Now did he say folds plural, plural or fold singular? Singular. So I mean the Bible tells us here that God has sheep that are in other folds. Other sheep have I, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. In other words, Jesus tells us that there are many folds out there in the world, but there is really only to be what? One fold, and he's got sheep in many of these other folds who may not have all the light or all the truth that he wants to give, but he still, he still calls them his sheep. Why? Because they are living, beloved, according to all the light and all the knowledge that they have. And that's what it takes to be a sheep of God. And so Jesus here recognizes that he's got sheep in all these folds, every fold. There's, there's no fold that does not have true sheep in it, but it doesn't mean that the fold itself is teaching or is representing the government of God. Is that clear? All right. So, we want to find out tonight, who is the fold? What is the fold? How can we identify the church? And I want you to realize, I mean, some people will say, hey, you know what, there is no true church. What are you saying when you say there is no true church? Well, you're saying there's no false church. You're also saying God's a liar. You're also repeating Satan's argument in heaven, which was that there is no, what? One way to salvation. There is no one cutout pattern to be saved. You can be saved however you choose. It doesn't matter what you do, as long as you do A, B, and C, or whatever it may be. But God cast Satan out of heaven because he attempted to divide the congregation and to say there are more ways to be like the Most High than the Most High is telling us. 
So now in Revelation chapter 12, we're going to read about the true church. And the Bible tells us here in verse 1 and 2, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now you'll remember that we discovered that a woman in Bible prophecy represents a church. And here this woman is clothed with the sun, which is symbolic of Christ's righteousness. The sun, symbolic of Christ's righteousness, the light of Christ. She has the moon under her feet. The moon is that which, the moon doesn't have its own light. It reflects the light of the, of the sun. So what is it that reflects or testifies of Jesus Christ? It's the Bible, the word of God. This woman is standing on the Old and New Testament. She is standing firm on God's word. She is clothed with Christ's righteousness. And she's got on her head a crown of what? Twelve stars. And what do we say that number twelve represents? The principle of service. Self-sacrificing service. And so this is how God describes his true church. It says, And she being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. That child that she was delivering, we're talking about the Old Testament church, was going to deliver Jesus Christ to this world. Verse 5 and 6 say, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Now it says after this woman delivered the child that the child was caught up unto heaven that's speaking about Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then it says the woman was given two wings of an eagle that she should, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the woman fled rather into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there for twelve hundred and sixty days. Why 1260 days? Because you'll remember in the prophecy uh, that we studied in Daniel chapter 7 that the little horn was to persecute the, the saints of God for how long? 1260 days. So the true church was hiding during what we know as the dark ages. The true church was not visible. It was hiding, which would mean the visible church could not have been what? The true church, okay? Very good. Revelation 12, 13, 14. And by the way, the visible church was the Roman Catholic Church during those dark ages. It was the only church on the, uh, uh, during that time period. And it dominated all others who would not bow to her perception of what truth was. How many churches do you have then? You got two. You got one in hiding. And you've got one dominating, burning people at the stake, etc. Revelation 12, 13, and 14 says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Who is the woman which brought forth the man-child? It is the, the church. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Here again is that same 1260-year period. Now, during this time period, you had people like Martin Luther and other uh, very famous reformers that began to see, listen, this church cannot be the true church of God because look at what they're doing. And they began to come out of this system. But I want you to notice what Satan's plan was in terms of this woman. Daniel 12, verse 7. It says, And it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. That's the time that the little horn was to persecute the woman. But now notice what it goes on to say. And when he shall, that is the little horn, or the Antichrist power, when she, he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people. That's Daniel 12 and verse 7, telling us that the time, times and a half, was the time period in which this little horn power would, would be victorious in scattering who? 
God's church, the true church. How was that fulfilled? Denominations begin to multiply. So what you have happening is that through this, uh, this persecution with the little horn, through, this dark age, through the dark ages, what you had is various people began to see, oh, that's not true. And they would come out of the Roman Catholic Church and then they'd form another church. But then there began to rise disagreements between some of them and then they would come out from that other church and form another denomination. And beloved, soon you had a scattering, a what? A scattering of the holy people. So now you have all these denominations beginning to multiply. Revelation 12, 15, and 16, the Bible says, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Let me tell you, all the time through this period, God has had a true church, a people who have kept the pure faith of the Bible. And the Bible tells us here that while the dragon completely tried to wipe out the woman, he did not succeed. This takes us right up to the end of the 1260 years, 1798. And we'll notice that during this time period, during the 1260 years, a counterfeit government of God was set up on earth. And we have seen this uh, in our previous nights that the Roman Catholic Church set up a counterfeit system, a counterfeit government, a counterfeit church, which claimed to direct people to the path of salvation, but was giving them an alternative to the what? To the true way, to the Bible. You don't, need to re- you don't need to read the Bible to be saved. You don't need to read the Bible to understand salvation. Just listen to what we say. We will show you the way how to be saved. And beloved, by doing that, they came up with all kinds of doctrines that are not in the Bible. All kinds of teachings that are, that are not to be found anywhere in the Word of God. Now, I want you to notice how the Bible describes this woman. Revelation 17, 1, there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great, what? Whore that sitteth upon many waters. So now you have another woman, but now God describes her as a harlot. Notice what it goes on to say. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. It goes on to say, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. This again is speaking about that dominant church during the 1260 year period. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. How many of you were here this morning? And you remember, and what, what color do you see is missing? Blue. Remember this morning we learned, purple represented royalty, scarlet, the sacrifice, But the priests of the Old Testament wore purple, scarlet, and blue. This woman is not wearing what? Blue. And what did blue stand for? Obedience to what? The commandments of God. She's not wearing any blue. She's a church that is disobedient to the law of God. And she was decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Now notice verse 5 and 6. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the what? Mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. Now, what does it mean, mother of harlots? She has what? Daughters. Where in the world do those daughters come from? Scattering time. That's right. When she scattered the power of the holy people, it produced all these daughters, all these different denominations who were saying, this is the way to truth. No, this is the way to truth. And all in all, beloved, what you have now, when a person stands and looks and says, I want to choose a church, how do I choose? One of the first things that comes to their mind is, man, this is very confusing. Who knows what the biblical word that I'm about to mention, 
the, the word for confusion, confusing or confusion. What's the word? Babylon. Babylon. What's her name? Babylon the Great. Confusing. Confusion. Beloved, in the kingdom of God, there was one government, one shepherd, one fold, one church. On earth, we've got a multiple, a, 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 I mean, just churches galore, all over saying, this is the way. No, this is the way. And pretty soon, people just get fed up and they go, you know what? Any, meeny, money, mo. And whichever one they land on, that's it. And I don't want to hear anything else anymore. I have chosen, well, why are you part of that church? I don't know, but this is why I'm a part of it. And leave me alone. Why? Because, beloved, it is so confusing that honestly people are like, how do I tell? This is so scary. If my eternal salvation is based upon truth and there are over 300 different denominations, that's not good news for me. And so, Babylon the Great, the confusion of Satan's principle which began in heaven is now here on earth. And it says that she is the mother of harlots, which means that she's got other daughters, or daughters rather, that are much like herself. Alright, notice it says, I, I saw the woman, and she was what? Drunk with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And there is again only one church that fits that role, the mother of harlots. But now, we want to look at these daughters. These daughters really represent multiple, what? Multiple churches. Beloved, think about it. If God's government is based upon oneness then there is no way in the world that all these churches can be speaking on behalf of God. Because if they were, then God himself would be the author of what? Confusion. If five of these churches were speaking on behalf of God, then God would be the author of? Confusion. If three of these churches were speaking on behalf of God, God would be the author of? Confusion. What about two? Confusion. Because none of these churches agree with one another. So while we know that it, it's a hard thing to say, well, you know, some, how can you say that you've got a corner on truth? Nobody has a corner on truth. God has a corner on truth. Amen? And if God has a corner on truth, then we want to be in that corner. Amen? So it's not up to us to say, well, I've got the corner on truth. No, no human being has a corner on truth. God has the corner of tr on truth. And his word has the corner on truth. So these mother, the mother of, or these harlots rather, represent multiple churches. They are breeding what? Confusion. By holding on to the teachings and principles of the mother church. It's going to be hard. But look, Sunday sacredness. Who did that originate with? The mother church. She's the one that says, hey, listen, this is my teaching. There's no place in the Bible that, uh, that talks about um, uh, Saturday being changed to Sunday. But this is my teaching. It's another way. This, the Bible is not the only way. Our traditions take precedence over the word of God. And so as mother kept Sunday sacredness, now these daughter churches that hold on to the teaching of the mother, the Bible calls, and I know it's hard, I mean God loves these people. And he's not calling people harlots. He's simply calling the what? The system. Because all the churches is a system of teachings. A system that says, look, this is the way that God operates. This is what God wants you to believe. And beloved, God does not want us to believe that Sunday is sacred because it is nowhere to be found in his word. So as the, these daughter churches hold on to Sunday sacredness, the immortality of the soul, purgatory, eternal suffering, or a future or past antichrist, and these are just a few on the list. Beloved, what they are doing is they are saying, look, this is our mother. We may disagree with her on some things, but on other things which go against the Bible, we're going to take those things. And God says, no, when you do that, you are living under the principle, not only of the mother church, but the one who is behind the mother church, which is, which is Satan. You mean to tell me that all these churches are wrong? 
That's a real egotistical thing to say of you. You are sickening. And I can just imagine the devil in heaven saying the same thing, beloved. Who do you think you are? Do you think that your, your way is the only way? And beloved, that's why I say this message is hard because, you know, I don't want to come across as condemning anybody or, or anything or, you know, saying, hey, listen, this is or nothing like that. All I'm trying to say is that I believe that God is a God of truth and truth cannot be divided. You can't have two opposing things that are true at the same time. Otherwise, it becomes a lie. And if both, if God is the author of both of these things, then God himself is confusing. And we know that God is not confusing. Isaiah 4 and verse 1, the Bible tells us, and in that day, seven women. What does a woman represent? Seven women. Seven churches shall take hold of one man. Who is that man they're going to take hold of? Who is the man? Who is the man that all churches are supposed to take a hold of, that the church is supposed to take a hold of? Jesus. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own bread. What does that mean, we will eat our own bread? We're talking about the word of God. We will, we will eat our own bread. We're not going to eat your bread. We'll eat our own bread and we will wear our own what? Apparel. We will decide what is righteous for ourselves. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. So give us your name, Jesus, but we'll decide what righteousness is and we'll decide what we will do with, your, with, with the word. We will eat our own bread. We will do it according to what we think, but only let us be called by your Name. And beloved, as I look at what so many churches are doing, I can only say that this verse applies. Because many churches are saying, hey, you know, it's okay, as long as we're called Christian, then we're alright. And we see that that wasn't true of the Dark Ages because the Christian church of that time was persecuting the saints of the Most High. So there must be, beloved, one church because God himself says that he and his son are one. What are the identifying marks then of God's church. Well, very simple. God's church on earth must be the one that reflects the government of God where? In heaven. Now, beloved, we've been spending the whole, this whole series on the subject of the sanctuary. How God is trying to lead us back to the sanctuary. And I know that from my personal experience, I really don't know of, of um, many churches that are even talking about God's sanctuary, the center of his kingdom. But notice Revelation 12, 17, because we saw that there was a law in that sanctuary. The Bible says, and the dragon was wroth with the woman, that is a church, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which do what? Keep the commandments of God. So one of the signs that the Bible gives us of the remnant church in the last days is that they will be doing what? Keeping the commandments of God. Isaiah 8, 20 tells us, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is how much? No light in them. So, notice 1 John 2, 3, and 4. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a what? Liar and the truth is not in him. And notice Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Beloved, I don't know how much clearer to make it that God's church is built, is founded upon the sanctuary and upon the law that is found within that sanctuary, which is the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Now, if we were to take these denominations and ask them, do you keep the law of God? What would the answer be? Yes. But as we would take out our Bibles and go down the list and say, well, what about the Fourth Commandment? What would the answer be? That's where you begin to get a little bit of an explanation. 
And beloved, if there ever comes a time where I need an explanation on why someone is not keeping the law of God, well, what about this one? Well, see, you know, my wife doesn't live here anymore, so technically speaking, the fact that I'm now with this other woman is not actually... No. It doesn't work, beloved. There is no need. God already wrote the commandments for us as dummies. Amen? So then there should be no further need of explanation as to why some commandment has been changed. No, he's already made it as simple as he possibly could. So as we take those commandments and measure them according to these churches, guess what we're going to find? Except for one of those churches, none of those keep the what? The commandments of God. Now, beloved, the Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And as I take this test, I've spoken to people before, in fact, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. They said to me, you know, we are the remnant church. And I said, well, how do you come to that conclusion? And uh, this person actually told me, well, you know, we're the only ones that go door to door. And I thought to myself, okay, where in the Bible do we see going door to door as one of the one of the signs that would determine who, what the church of God and what the true church of God is. You won't find it in the Bible. People come up with their own tests, and I say that we ought to let the word of God test for us. Amen? And so as the Bible says, if they keep, if they, they, if they keep not the law of God, if they speak not according to this word, is because there's no light in them. And I take that simple test, like a little child, say, okay, here are the Ten Commandments, and I measure it up. I know, well, this, is not, this cannot possibly be the true system of God, because what they are telling me is that it's okay to break one of God's commandments. How many of you remember our study about the passport to heaven? What is Satan trying to do? Give us a what? Counterfeit passport. And it's, he's not going to give it to you coming from a red-suited, pitchfork devil. He's going to get a guy, dress him up in a nice suit, and, and teach him false principles, and then have him stand before the, the people in the pulpit and say, listen, it's okay to break God's law. His, his law has been done away with. You don't need to do this anymore. And beloved, it is a lie because the Bible says, blessed are they that keep his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life. Does God have beautiful, wonderful people in all these churches? Yep. People that will be saved before some Seventh-day Adventists? Yes. Why? Because they are, being, they are living up to the light that they have while some of us are not living up to the light that we have. So it's not about what denomination you belong to that saves you. It's about living up to the what? To the light that you have because, beloved, God is fair. God is just. And he's not going to say, oh, well, because you were in this denomination, you can't be saved. But, beloved, if he brings truth and you say, well, you know what? Born an Episcopalian, I'm going to die an Episcopalian. It doesn't matter. This is where all my friends are. This is where I've grown up. Then God says you have chosen your what? traditions over the word of God. Number two, prophetic birth certificate. Let me jump back real quick because I heard someone say the Jewish church keeps the commandments. Under Revelation 12, 17, and we'll come back to that in a moment, but you'll see in Revelation 12, 17, it says, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Now, while um, the Jews as a whole keep the commandments of God, they reject who? Jesus. Jesus. In the meantime, there are some Jews that don't reject Jesus, but amazingly enough, they've rejected the, the Sabbath. Isn't that amazing? They think that in order to become a Christian now, it means that I've got to now keep an, uh, uh, the Christian Sabbath, which there's no such thing. The Christian Sabbath is, is Saturday. But then there's some who keep both, but there's no organized body. And what we're going to see is that God has an organized body, an organized government by which he is trying to lead people into salvation or to, back to the truth of God's word in these last days. Number two, the second sign is a prophetic birth certificate. And this is one of my favorites because, beloved, 
the Seventh-day Adventist Church has a prophetic birth certificate. The Bible tells us. Notice, remember we saw that this woman would be hiding in hiding for 1260 days or years. And after the 1260 years, she would come out of hiding. So in other words, she would come back on the scene or come on the scene sometime after 1798, at the end of the 1260 years. Daniel 8.13, notice what it says. How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice? And the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the what? Host. Who is the host? God's what? God's people. So this question here, uh, how long shall be the the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? The question that's being asked here is, how long will God's people be being trampled under before they can rise up again into their rightful position? How long will they be being run over by this little horn power and the sanctuary being desolated and hidden from the minds of people? How long before the host get up again and start their march again with truth? And what is the answer to this question? Unto 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be what? Be cleansed. Now you remember this prophecy took us from 457 BC. That's the, the date the decree was given to begin counting. And it takes us all the way down to 1844 AD. In other words, what we're being told here is that in 1844 AD, a what? Host would arise. Number one, bringing back the truth of the heavenly sanctuary. Number two, the truth of the judgment beginning. We'll see that in a moment, but we have seen that previously as well. And number three, bringing back the standard of the judgment. And you'll remember that I explained uh, in, in our study on, on the 2300-day prophecy that just before 1844, an incredible thing began to, ha- began to happen. People from various denominations began to study the same prophecy. Daniel chapter 8, verse 13 and 14. And these people, without speaking to each other, all across the planet, came to the same conclusion that something very special was going to happen in 1844. Now, they mistakenly thought that it was going to be the coming of... Jesus. They were wrong, we saw, in that Jesus was not going to move from heaven to earth, but he was going to move from holy place to most holy place to begin the work of judgment. Well, beloved, when this took place in 1844 and Jesus didn't come, people gave up their faith. Some people killed us. All kinds of crazy things happened. But there was a group of people who said, you know what? We were wrong about the event. We've got to go back and see where we messed up. What went wrong? And when they went back and began to study, that's when they began to realize all the things we're talking about in this series. They began to realize that there was a heavenly sanctuary, that the standard, uh, that, the, that the judgment is what had begun and not the second coming of Christ, and that the standard of the judgment was the Ten Commandments. Now, but what's amazing about this is that this is how the Seventh-day Adventist church was started. Baptists, Methodists, Pentecost, I mean, uh, Presbyterians, people from all these different denominations came together and once they were all kicked out of their churches for actually believing that anything happened in 1844, when they by faith believed, nope, the prophecy said it, Jesus has moved into the most holy place, and all the churches said, ah, you guys are crazy, and da-da-da, and all these different things, this group of people came together, banded together, and the Seventh-day Adventist church is the only church on planet Earth that was formed, not from one person, but from a group out of almost every denomination coming together. And saying, this is what? Truth. There is a heavenly sanctuary. The judgment has begun. And the standard of judgment is the Ten Commandments. Daniel 8.14, the Bible tells us, And he said unto unto me, unto 2,300 days, 
Then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. I want you to notice in Revelation eleven eighteen, The Bible says the nations were angry and thy wrath is come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou should give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints and them that fear thy name small and great and should destroy them which destroy the earth. This is speaking about the judgment beginning. And verse 19 says, and the temple of God was opened in heaven. There was seen in his temple the what? Ark of his testament. Beloved, after that event that took place where Jesus did not come again and these sad and discouraged saints began to wonder what in the world happened, spiritually speaking, this verse was fulfilled in the fact that those people looked up and said, wait a minute, the sanctuary to be cleansed is not this earth, but where? In heaven. And when they looked up and they saw the sanctuary in heaven, they also noticed the ark of his testament, which has what in it? The Ten Commandments. And that, beloved, is how they came to the conclusion that the judgment had begun. And they started preaching what is known as the three angels' messages. Revelation 14, 6, and 7 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. This is what the Seventh-day Adventist Church began to preach in 1844. The judgment has begun. It's not sometime way off in the future. We don't know how long the judgment is going to take, but the judgment has begun. And this is what they began to preach. They also understood that the standard of the judgment was the Ten Commandments. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and do what? Keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into what? judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. They would also stand against the change of the covenant. Remember Daniel 7.25? He shall think to do what? Change times and laws. But Daniel 11.32 tells us, and such as do wickedly against the covenant. What is the covenant anyway? It's the law of God written where? On the heart. The Bible says here, such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. Hey, you don't have to keep the covenant in order to be saved. What is that? What is it? Flattery. There, are more than one, there is more than one way to get to heaven. You don't have to keep God's law to be saved. You're already good. You're already holy. What is it? Flattery. And so it says, he would corrupt them by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. How many of you know your God? Beloved, we want to be strong and do exploits. And God is saying here that in this verse, he's saying those who know their God stand against the change of the covenant. They're not going to go with the changed times and laws. And beloved, the Seventh-day Adventist church is the only church that I know of that is preaching against the change of the fourth commandment in particular. Revelation 14, 7 again says, notice how it ends. Right after speaking about the judgment, worship him that made what? Heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. The commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the what? Seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Exodus 20, 8 through 12. Now, final sign. Bible says not only would they have the law of God, but they would also have the testimony of Jesus. Bible says again, Revelation 12, 17, the dragon was wroth with, wroth, with the, wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. What is the testimony of Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us, Revelation 19, 10, 
And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. This is John falling at the feet of an angel, getting ready to worship him. The angel says, Don't do it. I'm your fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the what? Testimony of Jesus. And then notice, notice this. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the what? Spirit of prophecy. <clears throat> now, that still doesn't answer the question, what in the world is the spirit of prophecy? Well, beloved, the spirit of prophecy is nothing more than the Holy, or rather I should say nothing less than the Holy Spirit. That's all the spirit of prophecy is. It's the Holy Spirit. Notice John 16, 13. How be it when he, the spirit of what? Truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. In other words, the spirit of truth is not a thing, it's a person. Notice what it says, he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So, beloved, the spirit of prophecy is nothing else but the spirit of truth, which is who? The Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that testifies of who? Jesus. It's called the testimony of Jesus. So, I want you to notice a couple verses here in 2 Chronicles 24 19. It says, Yet he sent who to them? Prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord. What is the purpose of a prophet? According to this verse, what's the purpose of a prophet? To bring them again unto who? The Lord. Is a prophet designed to, to lead people to themselves? No, to bring them again to the Lord, and they testified against them. How did the prophet testify against them? Because they had the testimony of Jesus, which was the spirit of prophecy, which is the spirit of truth, which is simply the Holy Spirit. This is very important, beloved. Listen, but they would not give what? Give ear. Question, when you don't give ear to the prophet, who are you really rejecting? You're rejecting the spirit of prophecy, which is really the testimony of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Notice 2 Kings 17, 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by how? By all the prophets and by all the seers, same name for prophet, saying, turn you from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your father and which I sent to you by my servant, the prophets. The prophet's role was simply to come to the people and say, you're not keeping the law of God. Return back to who? Return back to the Lord. You're not doing this. You know, prophets had a way of getting themselves killed. You know why? Because they didn't usually come with nice, flowery, flowery messages that the people liked. I'm going to notice the significance of that in a little while. Okay, Nehemiah 9.26. Nevertheless, they were what? Disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew the who? Prophets, which did what? Testified against them to turn them to thee, and they wrought great provocation. That's Nehemiah 9, 26, and then 29 and 30 says, And you testified against them that thou might bring them again unto thy law. The whole purpose of a prophet is to bring people back unto his law. That thou might bring them back again to thy law, yet they dealt proudly and hearkened not unto thy commandments, but sinned against thy judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them, and withdrew the shoulder, and hardened their neck, and would not hear. Yet many years did thou forbear them, and testified against them by whose spirit? Thy spirit in thy prophets. Whose spirit is in God's prophets? His spirit, that's what it says. By thy spirit in thy prophets, yet they would not give ear. Let me show you the significance of this. Beloved, the rejection of a prophet is not really the rejection of a prophet. Do you get that? When you reject a prophet, you're not really rejecting the person. 
Who are you rejecting? In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, the Bible tells us something very interesting because Samuel was a prophet of God and the people of Israel said, we don't want Samuel as our leader anymore. Samuel was pretty hurt about that. And uh, the Lord said to him, Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Beloved, one of the quickest ways to bring out the spirit of rebellion in a person is to bring them face to face with a prophet. I'm talking about not a true prophet. Bring a true prophet on the scene and all of a sudden the prophet says A and you say B. Prophet says white, you say black. Prophet says gold, you say stop. (laughs) Somehow or another, beloved, when coming face to face with the spirit of prophecy, with God's gift, when we come face face to face with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden principles that we didn't even know were in our hearts begin to come out. And I want you to notice, beloved, this is so significant as we... As we close, Matthew 23, 29 to 31, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. You know what that means? He's saying, you Pharisees, and, and uh, you, you know, I see you over there by those tombs, and you're saying, oh, Moses, poor Moses, I wish he were alive today. You do all these decorations, and you go all the way out for these dead prophets. But notice what he goes on to say. He says, and you say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. No way. Don't you see how we're honoring these dead prophets? Don't you see how we just love these prophets that have gone off the scene? That are no longer around to tell us what to do? Oh, we just love them. But then he says, wherefore, you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which killed the prophets. Why? Because Jesus was a living prophet in their time. And what did they do with the prophet of their time? Killed him. John the Baptist. Beloved, as we look at the principle here, I believe that the same is true today. If a prophet were to come to the... Oh, Moses. You know, today with Moses and oh, the Bible. But I believe that if many of us were faced with a living prophet today, you know, you know what would happen? Some things that we didn't know were in our hearts will begin to manifest themselves if we were not right with God. And this, beloved, simply reveals the principle or the spirit of what? Rebellion. False Christ and false prophets, the Bible told us in the last day, Matthew 24, 24, there shall arise false Christ and false prophets. Question, if there were to arise false prophets in the last days, is it fair for us to assume that there would be true prophets in the last days? Yeah, that's fair to assume. Not only is it fair to assume, we're told to assume that because God's last day church that would arise in 1844, God says he was going to give to it the spirit of prophecy. And when you give to a church the spirit of prophecy, you don't just give it the spirit of prophecy and, you know, it just doesn't come. You don't just hear a voice out of heaven saying, okay, now hear this prophecy. No. The spirit of prophecy is given through the who? Through the prophets. That's why it's called, that's why the Holy Spirit in this office is called the spirit of prophecy. So it is fair for us to assume that God would give his last day church a prophet. 1 John 4, 1 tells us, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. This text simply tells us, Beloved, don't condemn every spirit, but do what? Try them. Test them. And if they pass the test, then you do what? Accept it. But if they don't, then you reject it. And today, I hear people saying all the time, there's no such thing as a prophet today. Any, any word of a prophet, oh, that's a false prophet. Beloved, you better be careful, because to reject a true prophet of God is not to really reject the prophet. But it is to reject who? God. It's not about the person. 
It could be a kid. It could be a man. It could be. It's not about the person. It's about the spirit of prophecy. Amen. I want to tell you about a lady by the name of Ellen White, and um, I'm not going to go into great detail about her tonight because we we're just we just got a few more slides and then we're going to close. But Ellen White just uh, was a 17 year old girl at the in the year 1844. And just when the Seventh-day Adventist Church was coming together and formulating in that very year, Ellen White, as part of this movement, in fact, she was a, um, a Methodist, received a vision from God in which she saw certain things that were to happen in the future. She saw the movement of God's people down through the last days. And beloved, that prophet, that woman, to receive her vision in 1844, just by coincidence, to be at the same year when God says, at this time, the host of God's people is going to rise up, and I'm going to give them the commandments of God, but not only the commandments of God, but also the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. Beloved, in my mind, there can be no mistaking it that this woman was a true prophet of God. Really? How are we going to test her? Well, the Bible says, by the what? Law, to the law and to the testimony. And beloved, as I hear of, you know, all these so-called prophets that are around today, turn on the TV and prophet so-and-so and prophet so-and-so, I've got one question for them. I don't need to be deceived. One question. Do you believe in the law? Do you believe in the law of God? And if they say no, what do I know? No light. Beloved, Ellen White stood by the Ten Commandments law of God. No mistake about it. She taught that the law of God must be kept. Not only that, what about the testimony of Jesus? Ellen White did not believe that Jesus was a lesser God or some other thing. She believed that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. And beloved, according to these two principles, the law and the testimony and the truth of God's word, everything that we have gone over in this seminar, Ellen White teaches and believes. Now let me ask you, have you ever heard me use the, the, the name Ellen White in any of my messages? Have you seen me use any other quote besides the Bible? No. Which lets you know, beloved, I'm simply showing you that my teaching and the teaching of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is nowhere in the world dependent upon the writings of this woman. And by the way, she has written more books, I believe, than any woman author uh, in the world. Not only that, she had a third grade education. And the books she has written are just mind-blowing. The things she has written, beloved, are incredible and all backed up by the Word of God. In fact... At our next meeting, which is going to be next Wednesday night, next Wednesday night, we're going to have books available, two books in particular. One is called The Great Controversy. The other one is called The Desire of Ages. And The Great Controversy in particular is an, is, is an expansion of what we have gone over in these past uh, three weeks. And it is all from the Bible. There's nothing there that you can't verify from the Word of God. So when we're told that a prophet is on the scene, do we need to go all of a sudden, oh, it must be a false prophet? No. God says, don't, get, don't, don't fret. Simply test her. Or test him by the word of God. By the law and the testimony. And this is why, beloved, it's important. Because I'll tell you this honestly. There are people out there who are testing this woman's writings. And they themselves aren't keeping the what? Law. And therefore, they're teaching all kinds of weird things that are not in the Bible. But they're seeking to try to test the prophet. You, in order to test someone by something, you must know the thing first. Amen? And if you don't know the word of God, there's really no way for you to test other truth. All truth must be tested by the word of God. Let me share one more thing with you on that. You know, all the prophets, the Bible says the spirit of the prophets are subject unto the prophets. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, did the people know that Moses was a prophet? How did they know he was a prophet? His face was shining. They saw God. They heard God talking to Moses. They had no doubt in their mind as to say, Moses, are you sure you're a prophet? No doubt. When, when Joshua came on the scene and all these other prophets, did they know that they were prophets? No, they didn't. 
They didn't hear any voices talking to Jeremiah or Isaiah. So now they had to do what? Test the prophets. And very simply, the way you tested the prophets was by seeing, do they match up with the prophet that came before them? The spirit of the prophets are subject unto the prophets. And beloved, as we go through the whole Bible and see this unanimous testimony of the law of God, this unanimous testimony of what hellfire really is, of what happens when you die. Beloved, you read the writings of Ellen White and she falls right in line with Moses and Joshua and Isaiah. And we have nothing to fear. And I can say that with confidence when it comes to the writing of this woman. The Remnant Church, 1844. Vindicating sanctuary, the sanctuary of God. A gathering of people from various denominations. The preaching of the law of God. Standing against the changing of the covenant. Giving, given the spirit of prophecy, beloved, and all this in 1844 to me leaves no shadow of doubt in my mind that the remnant church of God is the Seventh-day Adventist church. Revelation 21, 9 and 10 tells us, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. You want to know why there's no temple there? All the laws, everything we have spoken about is now embodied in Jesus Christ. And beloved, the reason why it is so important for us to be in the right church is that that church prepares us how to live where? In heaven. If you are not used to keeping the commandments of God down here, are you going to be used to keeping it up there? No, you're going to get in and say, well, God, this is my, you know, I mean, this is what I do on earth and I want to do this when I get to heaven. That's the reason why God has given us his church. Because he wants to show us that his kingdom is a united kingdom. He doesn't reign over many churches. He's got one congregation. Beloved, let me say it again before I close. God has many sincere people in every denomination. Amen? But he is calling people to come out of those false systems that are teaching false things. Story of Noah. You remember the story? How many arcs? One ark. Beloved, in this last day, the devil is built, building many, many arcs. Churches. The ark that Noah built, it was built according to God's specific instructions. Are you sure that you would want to take a risk and just jump into any ark? That when the rain comes and, and the floods and the winds begin to blow, are you sure that your ark is going to hold up. Beloved, as I go through the Bible, and as I looked over and over again, and I have studied many different religions, many different Christian religions, all kinds of religions in my younger days, trying to figure out what, what should I be, and I can never find anything clear-cut to follow. Beloved, now I see, without a shadow of a doubt, that God does have a remnant church, a people who keep the commandments of God, and have the faith of Jesus. Beloved, I want to make an invitation right now. And I'm going to ask you, all we have learned is, in my mind, mind-blowing. And as I go over it, it's still mind-blowing. But, beloved, God is calling some of you to make a decision to follow him. And, beloved, they, you may have friends in the church and you may, you know, man, we really have good times together. And those good times can continue to exist. God is not saying cut off your friends and don't talk to your family. But he's simply saying, I am knocking at the door and I want you to join what I have shown you. I want you to make a decision to follow me and to enter into the ark. And not to give way to Satan's lie that there are more than one ways of salvation and you know multiple churches can all be blessed by God because while multiple people can be blessed by God, God will only bless his government, his truth. Amen? Beloved, please do not delay 
in making that decision. Heavenly Father, Lord, there is much that we have learned and so much more to learn. Father, there are people who have come, people who have not been here. Lord, so many people in so many different places. Father, I just want to pray tonight that as your Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts, Lord, that the spirit of rebellion might not be found alive in us. Lord, but that we would be willing to make any sacrifice necessary to follow you, to keep your word, to keep your law. And Father, as we come to a close at these meetings, we have not really come to a close. And Lord, let not the devil deceive anyone that the time to make a decision is gone. For Lord, as long as we have breath, you give us the opportunity to choose you. And Father, I just want to thank you for speaking to us tonight. May we search, Lord, and continue to search with all our hearts and souls and minds because you have told us that we will seek you and find you when we search with all our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.